This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we talked to top five projected pick Ryan Smith and as well, VP of Laxops and new GM of Fort Worth, Bob Hamley. But the big news of the week came late Wednesday when Ireland lacrosse just did the right thing. All that and more on OTCB. is going on lacrosse fans how's your thursday it is an absolutely gorgeous day here on the island september is looking mighty fine already as long as you don't look across the street at the growing tent city that has overtaken my glorious beacon hill park but that is not why we are here we got a lot of lacrosse to talk about, so let's get the formalities out of the way. Hit me up on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar, Instagram, OTCB Podcast, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Two weeks. We are exactly two weeks away from the NLL draft, the virtual draft, and next week... The guru of all things NLL Draft, Stephen Stamp, will join us on the show to break it all down. We've talked to four of the top five prospects. We're going to get Stamp to kind of break each, well, not every guy down. We're going to get him to break a lot of guys down. Maybe he'll even give us his mock draft. I'll give my mock top first round as well. Um, But as I have said many times, after Jeff Teat going number one, Picks two through six can go any which way. Especially if teams decide to trade up and or trade down. Things could change. But there is a group of guys within that top six. Picks two through six that really could go anywhere in that order. When you look at the likes of Trey LeClaire, Jeff Hendrick, Reed Bowering, Tanner Cook, Ryan Smith, and even Robert Hudson. That grouping of guys can all be top five, top six picks. But it's going to come down which team has that pick and what their biggest need is. And for some teams like Rochester... I think they need help all over. So deciding between a guy like Ryan Smith or Jeff Henrik is a tough decision. And then, like we talked about last show, it becomes a domino effect. When one guy comes off a board, if you had that guy as your number one pick, thinking he's going to be there, but something happens and he's not there, now all of a sudden you have to go in scramble mode, find your number two guy, and really reassess if he's going to be the guy that you want. And I know Jake Elliott has alluded to it a little bit, and some of the rumblings that I've heard as well, there might be some teams trying to get in to, you know, right behind New York at number one. Does Rochester listen to all inquired offers for that number two pick? 
Are there teams trying to get that number two spot thinking that the guy they want middle of that first round isn't going to be there? I hope we get some of that action because as an analyst, someone who's going to be a part of the broadcast, I think having those moments make drafts that much more enjoyable. When there's drama and trades and suspense and teams calling timeouts and GMs phoning each other back and forth. I hope we see some of that drama on draft day. Because it'll just make everything that much more enjoyable. Because like we said, it's, it's going to be different being a virtual draft. And if we had some shenanigans from the general managers, it would just make it that much more enjoyable. So next week, we'll talk with Stamper. Um, and we'll kind of break things down. We'll see who he likes and who he doesn't like and where guys fall um, as it pertains to the NLL draft. We're going to talk to Ryan Smith this week, uh, the Oakville Rock member. Um, guys played junior C, junior B, junior A, senior B, senior A. He's played it all. And he has really been able to learn the growth of not only the game of lacrosse, but himself as well. And so we're going to talk to him as our weekly prospect watch interview. We'll hear that in a few minutes. It's a great chat with a guy who really, like we just talked about, could go from anywhere from pick number two to pick number six. I don't think he falls all the way to six, but there is a possibility that if he's not there, if he's still there at three, that he might fall down a few more spots. We'll talk all that scenario, those crazy wild scenarios next week. We're also going to talk to Bob Hamlin. And for lacrosse fans that have been around the NLL and the game of lacrosse for quite some time, Bob Hamley is a name that we are all familiar with. He is an absolute icon in our sport. He is an incredible lacrosse mind. And he's done an absolutely phenomenal job down in the United States alongside Jamie Monroe in the 3D lacrosse program. He has been a guy that has been a head coach, been a GM, been a head coach and a GM at the same time. He's taken team to championships and he's seen teams really struggle. Through the thick and thin, Baum Hamley has always kept character and culture above all else. But he's also learned humility. And that is going to be a major factor in his new role as he was just named VP of Lax Ops and General Manager for the Fort Worth Blanks. It is a long time coming for a man who has really put in his work 30 plus years in the pro game, even more in the sport of lacrosse in total. And now he gets the opportunity to not only run a team, but build a team, and not just the actual players. Build the front office staff, build his coaching staff, build everybody around the organization. He gets to focus on that and build it all. He's creating the Fort Worth empire, and he's looking forward to the challenge. And when I shot him a message after the news came out midweek, he was excited to hop on and give us some time in chat. This is Bob Hanley, the new... VP of Lacrosse Operations and General Manager of the Expansion Fort Worth team, right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast.
Hammer, how the hell are you? I'm great, Benny. Thanks for uh, thanks for the call. It's been a while since we have caught up, but first let's let's get the congratulations out of the way because this is a, a big moment for you. This has been something a long time coming. No, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't be more excited. It's uh, an incredible opportunity. Uh, uh, going to be a great market in, in Texas here, Fort Worth, and a great ownership group. Uh, and uh, a clean slate, if you will, and uh, excited to uh, get going. We're going to talk about the, the the inflection of your voice when you say that clean slate, because usually when you come in, you're taking over teams after some subpar seasons, and you're being brought on to kind of help right the ship now you get to make the ship your own we're going to talk about all that but another branch to the left bartley nll family tree regrows now that you're back within the nll family circle how cool is it to see so many of your former teammates and peers from those early bandit teams that were coached by Les having such success and now even more so passing that knowledge on to the next group. Uh, absolutely, Teddy. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but you, you, you touched on it. You look at uh, the, the Keenans and Jimmy Beltman back involved now, and um, a lot of us have, uh, you know, learned throughout the, the way and, and obviously started with Les and winning championships in Buffalo with him and in that group, it's uh, it's exciting to watch. It's exciting to see where the game is going, and uh, here we are in Texas, of all places. Uh, who who would have thunk? So it's uh, it's it's exciting, and uh, I, I know Les would be proud of uh, of all of us and uh, what's been going on. Was this a quick move by the Fort Worth group? Were they were you always on their radar? You think? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, the way 2020 has transpired, Teddy, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, angst in what was going to happen. Uh, this this really has come about for me in the last two, month and a half, two months. Um, you know, I've always wanted to get back involved and, and talk to uh, some teams previous to this. But, uh, you know, with, with, with COVID, it's just been uh, a lot of things are up in the air, and as I say, a lot of us have been walking in the dark for uh, for uh, five, six months. So I think I think just the last couple of months it's really really come about. But I I know these this ownership groups done their due diligence long before this. They're uh, a very smart group, and, and Greg Gibb and uh, Bill Cameron have all have enjoyed watching the National Lacrosse over the last few years, from what I can gather. How have your early conversations been with them? I know the news was just put out yesterday, but in the talks, how have conversations been so far? Great, absolutely great. Uh, they're they're in the sports industry. Uh, they own the WNBA team here in Dallas with the Wings. So uh, sports is their business. Uh, Greg Bidd's been in it for a long time, and a uh, sports exec up in Washington now here in Dallas. So they know what they're doing, and uh, they. Absolutely love the game and, and love what the NLL and Nick and everybody are doing. So they're they're pretty fired up. It's been a while since you've been in the National Lacrosse League. I think 2014 was sort of around the time that uh, you moved on from Colorado. But you've been doing an incredible amount of work in the U.S. to help grow 
the box game, the game of lacrosse, the notoriety of it uh, via 3D lacrosse. And I know you're still heavily involved in that. How important has that growth of the been to the growth of lacrosse in the Dallas, Texas area? Absolutely. Um, you know, we pride ourselves on our training at 3D lacrosse and our founder, Jamie Monroe, uh, started us off and, and our guys, uh, you know, Reggie Phillips involved now of taking it to the next level. Um, our kids are benefiting from, from our training and we use the box, uh, in our training and, uh, it's, it's a, it's a way to, uh, really um, speed up the, the development of our kids. And the earlier we can get them in the box, the better. Um, so 3D's done a wonderful job. We're, we're, we're all over the U.S. And uh, we, we've done a great job with our platform. You know, I just moved here to Texas from Georgia. I was in Georgia for five years, and we built a, a program this last year. We had 14 teams, Teddy. Uh, of kids from any, anywhere from third grade to seniors in high school. So very proud of what we've done at 3D, very proud of what we've done in Georgia, and I'm looking forward to doing the same here in Texas and following uh, our, our footsteps here. So it's uh, it's great. And, and, you know, box across, uh, you look at U.S. box and what they've done, Matt Brown and Shane Santos. Uh, the kids the kids just love it, as you can imagine, Teddy. Once they they get it and they learn the nuances, it's uh, it's uh, it's just going to grow and keep on growing. I'm sure it's not going to take away all the numbers uh, of Dallas football because we know that's just an insane animal that has a life unto its own. But what are the right. numbers like of kids playing lacrosse so that when we can when you get a team there and you start putting your grassroots programs in your school program. How many kids are going to be out there playing already, do you think? Well, I think there's, uh, you know, you look at, uh, we're in Houston as well with 3D. Uh, I know Austin is growing. Uh, our former director, Zach Burke, is coaching high school down in Austin and, and Dallas. I don't know what the numbers are, Teddy, but it's growing. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, a game that, uh, you know, if you're not playing football, you can still get a lot of the, the, the same nuances, the physicality, the you know, the hand-eye coordination and the athleticism of, of football. So it's just going to continue to grow, and it's uh, not just in Dallas, Fort Worth, but also Houston and, and Austin and throughout the state. So, But as we know, you know, we, uh, we're going to pride ourselves here on, on obviously, you know, building and growing the game through the, through the box and our, our team, but we're, we're also, you know, the demographics outside of lacrosse. The, you know, the football fans are going to enjoy the game of lacrosse mm-hmm. as well when they see it live. There's, there's just nothing like our game live. I, I've, I've maintained it since I started in this business, and I still say it. There's just nothing like it live. Um, in your 3D profile on the website, it says, uh, the worst advice you ever got was, we need this guy on our team. Who was that guy, and did you wish you really didn't take him? Uh, I kind of have to plead the fifth. Can I do that as a Canadian citizen? I think I can. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll plead the fifth on that one, Ted. I'll plead the fifth. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, <laughs> in 2005, you named NLL GM head coach and or head coach and GM of the year. First time it ever happened in the NLL. What were those special about that year with Arizona? Well, just everything came together. Uh, you know, when we were down there and we started in 2003, the 
it was the first event in Glendale Arena, and that was the year, Teddy, I don't know if you remember, but the CBA didn't get ratified mm-hmm. until 17th of December. I was literally calling guys and saying, here's your contract, here's your airline ticket, you better sign it or you don't get the airline ticket. And we were we were down there on the 23rd. So we And that was the same year we were losing players to uh, have had been properly uh, looked after by the previous ownership. So they were mm-hmm. creative. So it's a lot like the expansion team. But everything came together with... You know, you think of the guys that are on that team. You know, Dan Dawson still playing. Just uh, really good people. Peter Lott. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mike Miron. You know, just guys that you wanted to be around. And uh, it's like anything else. A lot of hard work and uh, a lot of luck too. You know, we we uh, we managed to uh, put a team together of great people that got uh, uh, peaked at the right time. Is it unfortunate that, that Glendale was still growing and the sting came at that time? Like, would they have been better off coming five, ten years down the road once Glendale and that whole area had sort of amounted to something? Well, I think you're still finding um, – I think the Coyotes are doing much better. They're still really mm-hmm. struggling. Honestly, to be honest with you, tell you, if they had a built the arena in Scottsdale, yeah, I think we'd probably still be there. Uh, it, it's a big city like Bottle for Dallas-Fort Worth large too, but – the arena was in there just the wrong place at the wrong time, I believe. It had been in Scottsdale, um, and maybe to your point, maybe a little, little later, uh, it might have had a fighting chance. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough city to get around if uh, you don't need to go to the other side. People just won't do it, and uh, I think that that contributed to, you know, us not being there now. In your 30 years with the National Lacrosse League, what's the most important? Thing that you've learned heading into this job as VP and GM? Wow, that's a great question, Teddy. Uh, great question. Um, I guess uh, humility, uh, being humble. <laughs> you know, uh, well, I had some success in Arizona and didn't have a ton of success in, in Edmonton. I had some success in Colorado. You know, you got you got to work at it every day and um, you, you got to be humble, and I think that's the one thing that uh, you know I've learned over time. This isn't going to be collusion, so I don't want the league to come after either of us right away. But how mm-hmm. long before you find a way to bring Bob McMahon back to join you side by side? Because <laughs> every time one of you two gets a new job, you bring the other one along with you. He is such an awesome person, uh, awesome coach. Um, we talk about being teary-eyed. I, I watched the championship that he won with Mouse and Lord and Robbie Williams. Uh, I, was, I, I was the happiest guy. He might have been, but I was right behind him. I was so proud uh, of him, and, and he got his championship. And uh, it, uh, he's just a wonderful, wonderful person that helped me grow and become a better coach and a better person. And uh, I'd be lucky to have him, but he's very happy in Calgary. And he's got a great group there with Moose and, and Bordy and now Brian Diesel, so they'll they'll uh, they'll be hanging on to him for a while, I'm sure. This is a question that we often pose in today's sports world: is if you could have one guy to build a team around, who would that guy be? Now we can't say specific names of guys now in the National Lacrosse League, but when you look at the grand scheme of the lacrosse world, who is a guy that you would want to build a team around? 
Uh, you're talking past or present? Yeah, or yeah. Like, I don't know. We, yeah. Yeah, we'd all love a Dan Dawson yeah. or whatever, but yeah. we don't want to, you know, yeah. again, we're not trying to throw yeah. collusion here, Bob. We don't want to get you in trouble. No. You just got no. the job. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I touched, I touched on a few. Dan, Dan, just wonderful. Yeah. Kid and Toronto's lucky to have him. You know, my captain in Arizona, Peter Locke, um, and everybody knows uh, in the lacrosse, uh, old school Doc Locke, uh, his boy, mm-hmm. Peter. Um, Peter was our captain. He, uh, you know, he got drafted in a dispersal when we were in Columbus and I had to really talk him into coming and say, give me a chance. And the following year, he could have left as a free agent, but he stuck with me. And he's a guy that um, I'll, I'll forever uh, remember and appreciate because he he could have done other things and he stood by me. And we ended up having success. And uh, But uh, from an offensive standpoint, Teddy, the, the Craig Kahn was a, a favorite uh, of mine as well. Just... You know, he he talked about character. He talked about skill, determination, and uh, he he was he was a, a a great player. You also get a chance to really build the landscape of an organization and a franchise. Is that a daunting task? Uh, it's a lot of responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, you look what Nick and, and the board of governors and the owners have done to get to we're, we're coming to 14 teams. I know Nick's talked about 16, and that's a lot of responsibility. And that's the one thing we talked about, uh, you know, when we, we talked to position was, you know, hey, I got one shot at this. I don't have any moments. And it's very, very important. Greg Bibb and Bill Cameron have invested a lot of time and money to, to get this rolling. And, um, Sure, but uh, we all put pressure on ourselves every day, so that's nothing new. It's just a lot of responsibility, and I take it very seriously, and I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get started. So what's the next step? You're, you're in place. Uh, what is the next sort of hire or position you, you think is most important to fill? Yeah, no, absolutely, Teddy. This is new for me. Uh, I've always mm-hmm. had most cases. Uh, you know, I had Steve in, in Colorado. He was the GM, and I was a coach, and he gave me some of the draft responsibilities. And, but this is new for me. I, you know, uh, I was always had that coach uh, title. So now finding finding a head coach is is what we need to do. And the great news about the NLL now is we have a runway of uh, 14, 15 months to get that done. And uh, we're going to take our time. And like I said, uh, we're we're going to find the right guy that. Uh, fits what we want to do as far as a culture and, and personality and uh and uh that's our first uh, that's our first priority. Rich Lisk uh with New York often talks about culture and bringing character and what's the culture uh that you're trying to build in Forest? Um that that will be a, a group effort, but you know when you look at our players, um, you know, good people, Bob McMahon says it all the time, good people. And mm-hmm. uh, it starts there. It starts there. And then, you know, we uh, we built that culture from there. Um, you know, expansion uh, in our history here is, is being, you know, a tough first year. But we want to have the attitude that we're we're coming to, to win the cross games and and then more than we lose. So that's that's uh, something that would be a group effort between our coaches and players. 
you kind of say that first year is always a tough year for expansion teams. Are you wanting to make a big splash, pardon the pun, like the Seals did in year one? Or are you more uh, apt to take sort of a, a slower approach like Rochester did and let the fans know, hey, this is going to take time. We're going to build something here, but don't expect success right away. Well, patience, if you knew, let me tell you, patience isn't my strength. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not my strength. And, uh, you know, we, we're, you know, we want these fans in, in Texas to be entertained. We want to play the game the right way. And if you do those things and you bring in the right people, you're going to win games. And uh, we're going to give everything we can. And, again, uh, I'm excited about the runway we have. We have time to pick all these things through and, and really be patient at uh, doing the right things. And uh, I'm excited about that. But we're, we're going to be like every other team when we first hit that floor. We're, we're coming to win the cross games. It sounds like possibly there would be a 6th or a 15th team coming in by the time you guys first play. And as we've seen in the past, they get a little coin toss. And we get to decide first overall in the expansion or first overall in an entry draft. Again, probably not a position you've ever been in, but if you had that choice, what would it be? Well, I think I think uh, if you look at history, the entry draft has uh, been always the, uh, the position the expansion team wanted to be in. And so, you know, sitting here today on September 2nd, I would say entry. It's mm-hmm. an entry. Uh, um, there's a lot of great young players playing in U.S. college, and the, uh, the American players are now playing more box. So as we move along here, it's just going to get better and better in the entry. The American growth has been something that has been off a thing that the National Cross League, League needs, and we're seeing more and more Americans join the NLL, especially after the recent success of the MLL and PLL. And obviously you have a good pulse on what's down there right now. Right. Give us some hope that the next group of kids coming through your 3D program and some of the other high school programs are going to blow our minds and be a generation of Americans that we haven't seen before. Oh, I think we, we will. I think, uh, you know, a lot of guys, I know Steve Dubbin in San Diego, as you know, he's talked about it for years and years. It's very important. Uh, you know what, Teddy, you played down here. The athleticism here is it's off the charts. You give some of these kids a lacrosse stick it's, uh, and, and give them a little time and, and good training, um, you're going to create uh, great players. Uh, you know, Jay Gelbert coached against when he was in Colorado, still mm-hmm. gives me goosebumps. scares me when he used to pick up the ball in the corner and hit his own end. Um, there, there's going to be some of those guys coming, absolutely. Um, and, and we need it, frankly. We, we've got to have those guys um, so that we can keep keep growing the game. The runway is long, but it is clear. Mr. Hamley, you have a great task ahead of you, and I'm so happy uh, that Fort Worth has passed you. Congratulations on the new gig. Welcome back to the National Crossing, and look forward to more conversations like this. Thank you, Kay. I appreciate the kind words. There he is, Bob Hamley, VP of Lax Ops, and the new general manager of Fort Worth something or others. Still don't know the name. Don't know who the head coaches are. Don't know anything. But all those questions fall under Hammer's purview. So welcome back to the NLL, my friend. It's great to have 
Bob back in the NLL. Like I said, he is part of that Les Bartley family tree of guys that have were played for less, coached by less. I guess that's the same thing. Even some guys that coached with less. And it is an incredible lineage. And now all those greats are passing their teachings on to the next level of coaches in the National Lacrosse League. You know, it's gone from less to guys like Keenan and Veltman and Day and, and Hamley, accordingly, the Kilgores, and now it's been passed on to the likes of Hazen and O'Toole and O'Kersey and Kaluski and Pat Coyle. And, like, you can go down the list and find some sort of six degrees of separation with Les Bartley. And Bob has taken that into his career in the NLL as a coach and general manager and also into his teachings with 3D lacrosse and everything that they're doing. And he mentioned they're all across the United States. They really are all across the United States. It's a phenomenal program that does incredible work getting kids interested in the box game and playing it at a very competitive level. And alongside U.S. Boxa, we are starting to see a new generation of American box lacrosse player. Because we're starting to see the fruits of the labor of what 3D and U.S. Box have done to get those kids inside the box, playing the box game with proper NLL rules. And by the time they get to the NLL, they already know it. They're already comfortable with it. They're okay with the, the hitting and the contact and being able to be cross-checked when you don't have the ball. All those things that don't correlate to the field game. These kids are now used to it. And they've played in the Canadian summer tournaments against some of the best young Canadian players across the country. They're going to be ready. And they're going to be talented, and they're going to be skilled, and they're going to be experienced. And it can only bode well for our game in the future. Sure, there's still going to be those kids that have never played box coming out of college that want to give it a shot. Those kids might be a step or two behind. However, there are always going to be the cases of the Tom Schreibers and the Jay Jalbert's that just take to the game right away and are phenomenal at it. And I can't wait because with every new team, the player pool deepens and we need to continually add more players to that pool. One of those players is Ryan Smith. He is a projected top five pick in the upcoming National Lacrosse League draft. He has played junior and senior lacrosse at every level in Oakville. He is now... At RMU, Bobby Moe, a program that has and continually pushes out NLL studs. Many Canadians, many Americans, but they do an incredible job of creating a program and a culture that allows these kids to step into the NLL and be ready to go from jump. And I think Ryan Smith, when he gets his shot, is going to take the NLL by storm, use his size his right-handed shot, and his lacrosse experiences to make himself a household name 
in the pro game. I caught up with him down at RMU, and we go one-on-one in our latest NLL Draft Prospect Watch right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Joined now by RMU standout and Oakville Rock right-hander Ryan Smith. Smithy, how are you, my man? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm good. I can't complain. Thanks for joining us. This has been a wild and crazy summer for everybody. You're back at Robert Morris University going to school for that extra fifth year they've been given to you. What have you been doing this summer with without a lot of lacrosse to play? Uh, yeah, just trying to keep as busy as I can. Been golfing a lot. I worked at a golf course by my house, so I was fortunate enough to get out a lot on the golf course. And since gyms and whatnot weren't open in Ontario, just trying to do my best, trying to stay in shape, and that's about it. If you had to do a one-club challenge, what club would you pick out of your bag? I'm going to go I'm gonna go easy here. I'm just going to go seven iron. That's the smart yeah, it's, answer it's, right it's there, It's the normal Ryan. one. Yeah, that's the smart answer. How is your game? Pretty good? Uh, it's got a lot better this summer. Uh, last, <laughs> yeah. summer I, last summer, I didn't work at the golf course. So I only got about three rounds in. So, no, definitely improved a lot this summer just from playing so much. Uh, you're a, a Burlington guy. You're from the Ontario area. How did you get to Robert Morris? Yeah, I played etch lacrosse, the club program and in Ontario and just mm-hmm. going down to recruiting tournaments throughout throughout the northeast US there and just through all Canada games and pro and uh uh competitions put on by Edge and the Hill Academy. So just through those tournaments I started talking to Coach McMinnie here at RMU and the rest is history. Were there many other options for you or was Bobby Moe the number one school on your list? But Bobby Moe was the number one school. It was always my dream just to play Division One, And they're the only Division One program that really ever gave me a chance. So as soon as they did, I, I took it. What was that EDGE program like? Uh, like? Cause I know a lot of guys that have come out of there, and people talk about the greatness of the Hill Academy, but I'm not sure the EDGE program gets enough love. What was the best part about that for you? No, just all the connections they have to all the different yeah. schools, and obviously their track record speaks for themselves over. I think it's close to 300 commits now over or it might even be over 300 uh since they started up in 2006 2007 i was so no their track record speaks for themselves and just getting you out playing in front of a ton of college coaches it's just uh they're doing something right i spoke with jeff henrick uh at ohio state last week and trey leclerc and, and we're just talking to guys that are down at school in the bubble how's college life bubble for you right now uh, it's it's different, that's for sure. It's weird just not being able to hang out with all, all the guys on the team. Uh, right now we're still just uh, with the guys you live with. So I have two other roommates here in my apartment. So it's weird just just hanging out with the two of them. Um, definitely looking forward to getting back into full practice and being able to see the rest of the guys. Do you guys have a timeline for when that will happen? Is it still up in the air? Uh, about a week and a half now uh, we that's have left still. Yes. It'll be good to start hacking and whacking again, I'm sure. That's for sure. Yeah, I was definitely <laughs> missed the game after not playing all summer since our season got cut short here last last March. It was so no, yeah, definitely well, looking forward to get back to it. What was that like? Because you guys were on a bit of a roll with Robert Morris in, in that early stages of the spring last year and or this past spring. What was the feeling like when when you heard the news that there was going to be no more sports and and your your technical senior season was done? Yeah, no, it was it was really heartbreaking just. When it all got canceled, it was just kind of the end of your college career for all of the seniors, um, and especially here. We uh, we had a young group last year, a lot of young guys getting a lot of field time, 
So we, I think we were just starting to gel together. We went on a little three-game run there. And, no, I think we would have done something special again last last spring like we did the previous two years. So it's definitely heartbreaking just uh, having the season just canceled uh, so soon like that. That that run you guys made two years ago uh, to the tournament it had to have been pretty special for that program. It did, yeah. And it was the, all the great teams that cut, have came out of RMU. It was pretty surreal to be the first one to lift that NEC trophy and to play on in the NCAA tournament. It felt great. You were also the program's first NEC Rookie of the Year. What made your freshman year so so special for you, and why did you have so much success right away? You think? I think it was just the leadership on the team. The older we had a couple senior attackmen on the team at the time, and just kind of taking me under their wing, showing me the playbook. Uh, what the program's all about, and I truly cannot thank those guys enough just for just showing me the way. And no, it was just we, our offense that year was truly something special as well. So I think it was just the benefit of playing such a great offense. There's been a lot of RMU grads and alumni in the National Crossing. What about that program makes those guys so good once they're ready for the pros? I think it starts with Coach McMahon's recruiting first and foremost. Um, he looks for those Canadians who have that blue-collar mentality, guys up that are already in the league, guys like Kyle Matisse, Kyle Buchanan. Um, you see the culture that's instilled in them from RMU and the work ethic. So I think that's definitely the biggest part that Coach McMahon and before him, Coach Bear Davis, really strive for while recruiting and tried to instill in you while you were here. So it's nothing special about that Pittsburgh beer or anything like that? No, no, not, nothing like that. No, no, just all the guys working together, and no, it's truly something amazing to see. And all the all the Bobby Mo pros in the in the NLL, it's really cool to see. How many uh, Steelers games have you gotten to over the years? I went to one, just one last year. Um, I'm actually a Browns fan. Oh, so so yeah, Holy no, we territory. went to yeah, we went to some hostile territory last year. Um, no, that was a really fun game. It was fun. Getting, uh, having the Steelers fans just chirping you because I was wearing my my Baker jersey actually. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Did you uh, probably have some run-ins with Nick Rose then because he's a Steelers fan? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, no, my first summer playing senior, um, it was when the Chiefs and the Northmen played in the Ontario Finals. Right. So it's between yeah, no, so Rosie and I had a had a little bit of tension in the locker room when that was going <laughs> on for sure. Uh, you played all, all four levels of sort of senior lacrosse, junior A and B, senior A and B. How has the the progression of playing at the four different levels really helped your game propel you to where you are now as a top five prospect? I think um, learning a different part of each game. I, I played junior C as well my first year of junior. So just kind of uh, learning kind of junior C, junior B, the more physical side of the game. And then once you get up to junior A, just how much faster it gets from the jump up. Um, so I just think I've kind of taken a little bit of every part and it's just stayed with me. And no, I'm definitely thankful for all the years I played junior C, junior B, because it definitely made me the player that I am today. And it definitely goes to show for those younger kids that are progressing through their career that just because you don't start in junior A ball or even junior B ball, there's still a path for you to get to college and even to the pros. Exactly. Yeah, no, I've always been on, my parents are always big on it as well. Um, once you get a chance, uh, you just have to make the most of it. And that's just the advice I've carried with me my my whole career, basically, 
but like I said, started out in junior C, then I got the chance to play junior B and the chance to play junior A. And then even here at school, uh, I didn't start playing until a couple guys in front of me on the depth chart got injured. And then once I got that one chance, I just tried to do everything I could uh, to solidify my spot. You took full advantage uh, of your spot with the Burlington Chiefs in junior. You were coached by Dan McRae. You had 102 points your last year at junior. But Dan McRae is taking credit for teaching you the Swister. <laughs> is that true? No, no. So I actually <laughs> saw that, and uh, I saw that uh, that Dan said that. But he actually tried. It was our, uh, I think it was the second round against Aquasophony in G playoffs when I was with the Buzz. He, he tried to take it away from me. He said, no more twisters, but... Uh, I guess I guess I didn't listen, and it, it might fade off a little bit. <laughs> what what has Dan taught you um, about the next step in your career and how to prepare for it? Yeah, no, he just basically just says, just play your game, keep your head down, and keep working. Obviously, he's very hard. He's very big on um, just working hard to get your way up as well. So he's just always preached that everyone's going to start at the bottom of the totem pole, and then you just have to work your way up, no matter how high you're drafted, no matter who you are. Every time you get to a new team, you're just going to have to try and prove yourself. And how cool is it to see that Burlington group grow? Because they were destined to have a really good year this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, when uh, Stu Brown took a hold of the team, all uh, filling with Aquasoskin, Junior B, the, that program, and just seeing they had a lot of talent on paper this year, like we've had the last couple of years, and just seeing them take that next step to the Ontario Finals the year before as well as Really excited to see what they could do under under me there. And it definitely sucks for them, but now they get a fifth year, so hopefully they can make the most of it. You got drafted to the Oakville Rock, and you're part of a really young and talented Oakville group that is starting to turn some heads in the Major Series League. Uh, How fun was it to be a part of that group, especially a team that is just filled with NLL stars and future stars? You know, it's definitely pretty surreal running out on the floor and you just see Rob Hellier's on your team, Noble, guys like that. Then you look at your back end and they're all solidified NLL stars, basically. It's definitely a very cool moment just trying to uh, go in there and work as hard as I can and just learn as much as I can from all those guys as well. You put up 49 points in 18 games, a real consistent rookie season. How did that year sort of prepare you for what's to come when the NLL is ready? I just think that's the next step again, jumping up to senior A from senior B and junior A as well. Um, just how much faster the game is and just trying to learn how much more transition that they push, especially in Oakville. They, let, they love to let the D guys run and they have a lot of guys that do that. So it, just kind of learning how much faster the game is and how much more talented everyone is as well at that level. Um, so definitely that's another step up to the NLL, but still just uh, cool and I uh, just tried to learn as much as I could, just uh, that style of game. Who's the guy sort of in the locker room that you always had an ear for? Uh, definitely Rob Hellier or uh, Noble. Um, just seeing them write some stuff up on the board and just talking about different plays, different sets, just different motions and stuff that you can do. And then definitely having Mike Asuri as your offensive coach there as well is pretty cool. Just his knowledge for the game is just all ears for all those guys. With no lacrosse this summer, obviously NLL general managers been having to go and watch a lot of film and do a lot of phone calls and Zoom calls. How's that process been for you, uh, dealing with conversations with NLL GMs, getting yourself ready? Because usually they'd just be watching you play, and now you kind of have to sell yourself. Mm-hmm, for sure, yeah. 
No, just from talking to a couple different people, they I so far I just think they kind of want they've seen you play, they've been seeing you play for a while, they have all the film that they need on you. So now it's just trying to sell them as as a person, just that you're not going to be a, a problem in the locker room, that you're going to buy into the culture and just not be a problem for the team that's willing to give you the chance at the next level. When they talk to you, uh, what are Ryan Smith's strengths and weaknesses? Uh, I'd say my strengths are I'm just a hard worker and then um, just with my uh, shooting ability and just uh, being able to play in a pick-and-roll situation, just being able to get guys open as well. And I'd say my weakness is um, just being able to be a better playmaker as well when uh, the shooting isn't going well. Another guy that you're very familiar with is Brad McCulley, your uh, left-handed running mate on that Bobby Moe attack. He's entered the draft. He's predicted to go somewhere in that first round. How would you categorize his game? Brad's just one of the best guys ever to have in the locker room, as as you've known, knowing him from Victoria. And then Brad's one of the best shooters I've seen as well, and he's willing to do anything um, in order to get, get in the lineup, in order to help his team win. So, no, he... He's definitely a shoot-first guy, and he's got a cannon. But, um, no, he's definitely willing to get in the middle, willing to get guys open, and willing to do anything for his team for a win. Has he tried to convince you to come to Victoria for a summer? He has. He has, yes. Just, um, But then, yeah, no, he has, but haven't heard anything. So, no, uh, definitely. <laughs> it sounds like a great time knowing Tyson Gibson and Chris Bushy being out there, just hearing their stories. It sounds like a great time for sure. What's it going to feel like on September 17th when, when you hear your name called? Uh, a dream come true, obviously, but what are the emotions you're probably going to be feeling? Yeah, it's a little bit of a different situation. Obviously, I'm down here at school, so I can't be with my, my parents, my family, and whatnot. The, the people who I'm most thankful for for getting me to this point. So it's definitely going to be emotional not being able to be with them. But like you said, it's just going to be a dream come true. And just uh, very excited and ready to take to take that next step as well. Well, my friend, uh, it is going to be a very special night. I look forward to it. I look forward to watching your career grow. Best of luck in your fifth year down at Bobby Moe. Say all the boys for me, and best of luck. We'll talk soon, all right? Will do. Thank you very much. There is Ryan Smith from Robert Morris University out of Burlington, Ontario. Uh, I said he was all Oakville everything. It was a bit of a misnomer. Um, Oakville Buzz in Junior B also played a little Junior C in Oakville but he went to the Hamilton Bengals for a couple years back to the Buzz uh, then the Burlington Chiefs for his last two years at Junior A uh, and then hopped on with Oakville Titans for a few Senior B games as well as the Senior B Oakville Rock so he has allowed himself the slow progression to become the star that he is today. And I think it's a great story. And it's a wonderful lesson for all of you young kids out there that just because you're not on the A team right now doesn't mean that you'll never be an A player, doesn't mean that you'll never get to college or you never get to play pro. You just have to keep working at it. And as Ryan and his parents say, make the most of every opportunity given. He didn't start right away. It wasn't until some guys got hurt that he got that opportunity. And then once he was in, he never let the coaches take him out. And that is something that I tell all of the kids on our junior program teams. And even when I was coaching minor teams, when you get a chance, 
Do everything you can to make sure the coach can't take you out. And that doesn't mean being the guy who scores the most goals or is the biggest, toughest, meanest defender. If you do all the little things right, you make all the hustle plays, you sprint on and off the floor, you're responsible on defense, you're responsible in transition, you make right decisions with the ball on offense. If you do all those things that are right, it constantly makes it hard for coaches to take you out and or not give you playing time. And Ryan Smith has done an incredible job of just doing all the right things. September 17th, the NLL Draft, BR Live, YouTube, Facebook, you can catch it all. Myself, Stephen Stamp, Devin Caney, Tabitha Turner, we will have it all for you with a slew of guests. I hope you join us then. Also, stay tuned to the Lacrosse Flash. The boys continually pump out top five prospects. They're pumping out first round prospects, mock drafts, and we're even doing some redrafts from 2011, 2012, all the way up to 2017. And it's been a fun look back at some of the past drafts. And it's also been fun kind of seeing where these guys are now in their careers and seeing guys like Mitch Jones, who was a third rounder, projected as a first rounder in our mock drafts, in the redraft. So you can find some diamonds in the rough. And this year, the way the draft is going to be with a lot of those kids in the first round going back to college, guys in the second, third, maybe even the odd fourth round guy really could be looking at an opportunity to crack a roster this season, whenever that season may be. So I think just because you're not a first or second round guy in this year's draft, that doesn't mean that your dream is over. Make the most of your opportunities, continue to work hard before that opportunity comes, and when you get it, make the most of that opportunity and do the right things. And doing the right thing is going to lead us into our final topic of the day, but it is probably the biggest topic. And I wanted to make sure I give this enough time. As you all know, there has been some back and forth with Iroquois lacrosse, world lacrosse, world sport, and the world games in Birmingham, Alabama next year. Quick update. Originally, the World Games said that the Iroquois weren't allowed to participate because they weren't recognized, they don't have an IOC, they need to be within that circle of countries that are accepted by the IOC. Well, everybody in the lacrosse community rallied around the Iroquois, and rightfully so. We all understood that it was an error to not have them there, but there were reasons behind that error, if that makes sense. There were justifications to why it happened and to get the proper channels going, World Lacrosse and World Sport and the World Games came together and said, you know what, we're going to relook at this. If we can find a way to get the Iroquois there, then we will allow them to participate in the World Games. 
And the biggest factor they were looking at was, well, one of the teams that are going to be participating in the World Games would have to give up their spot. Well, late Wednesday night, the boys from Ireland did the right thing and did an incredibly selfless, humble, damn respected thing and they collectively withdrew themselves from the World Games so that the Iroquois Nationals could be there and could compete as the creators of our game and the bannermen for the creator of our game. I couldn't believe it when the information was passed on to me. I'm still at a bit of a loss for words for what this means. Now, yes, this is a huge step in the right direction, but there are still some factors that need to come into play. I don't know what they are, but I don't think this automatically means the Iroquois Nationals are in the World Games. I think one of the loopholes that they had to go through to get there has been sealed or opened or closed. I'm not sure what loopholes do. The loophole's been closed. There is a spot open for them at the World Games. Great. Now they have to continually do all the other steps to make sure that they're in 100 solidified percent. This is a step in the right direction. It is incredibly unfortunate for this to happen that Team Ireland had to withdraw. But what an incredibly powerful statement this makes for the game of lacrosse, the world of sports in general, that a national governing body and national team could come to a decision of this magnitude and make this selfless act to step away, allowing the torchbearers of our sport a chance to compete in the game that was given to them by their creator. It is just an outstanding show of compassion and sportsmanship that I don't think we've seen in our sport in a long, 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 long time. I've never seen something like this to this magnitude. I think the Ireland team deserves a massive round of applause, a huge huddy huddy, a big old him him, and a round of beers from every one of us. Thank you for your strength and your resolve to make this happen. I hope this echoes through World Across and the World Sport crew, and they continually keep the wheels in motion to get the Iroquois Nationals to Birmingham, Alabama in 2022. That'll about do it for this week's show. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, you can follow me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com or find me on Instagram, OTCB Podcast. Don't forget, check out the Lacrosse Flash for all of your NLL draft needs as we get closer and closer to NLL draft night. Until we speak again, 
be excellent to each other. 